Hey everyone, my name is Ricardo Avila. Let me ask you something. Does your heart race when you hear great music? I thought so. Does your heart ache when you hear a compelling story? I know it does. I also know your heart is going to love listening to the PC Music Diary. Your favorite popping collars hosts, maybe a surprise guest star or two, reveal the songs that have had the biggest impact on their lives through heartwarming, heartbreaking, and heartfelt stories. So listen to your heart and check out the PC Music Diary on the Popping Collars feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Pop, pop goes the heartbreak. I'm Greg Knight. Hey, I'm Ryan Parker. And this is PCTV, a popping collar side project where we randomly select a current TV show that you should be streaming right now. Ryan and I have each picked six shows from the top streaming apps, including Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Max, Prime Video, and Apple TV. And this month, we're talking about the Apple TV Plus series, Silo. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo and why we are underground. We only know the world outside our sanctuary is death. If you boil the pact down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside. Or you will. you ever think about the world beyond the silo? What if what we see is not what's out there? Down a mechanical, there's always someone who has a theory about the silo. I need to find out the truth. I found something that might have hold the answers to a lot of questions. You have to stay quiet. your head down. Are you willing to give everything you have for this? The clock is running. There isn't much time left. This is a threat to order in the silo. I don't care about order. What about finding out the truth? Some mysteries, they're best left unsolved. You're going to read the synopsis per usual. Yeah. Give the people what they want. I haven't actually, I just I just copied and pasted this without reading it. So let me uh, dive into it. Here we go. Men and women. It's very specific. <laughs> Men and women. Both. <laughs> Both of them. 
live in a giant silo underground with several regulations, which they believe are in place to protect them from the toxic and ruined world on the surface. Okay, let me let me dive in here as I usually do with these synthesis. <laughs> I am a old school day one silo fan and i looked over our show notes and i don't know if we're going to get into this it may not be the place for it at this early in the recording it may be an industry corner but i was a day one silo fan thanks to the kindle if you remember hugh published self-published these books oh, that's uh, right. yeah kindle, like when that and i've had the privilege and and the good fortune of uh meeting Hugh, at least via Zoom, and having a couple of conversations and listening in uh, as he did a whole bunch of interviews when this series premiered. And uh, a lovely human mm-hmm. tried to get him on here, but it, it didn't work. Just listening to him talk about how surreal it was to have self-published at least the first of those books, because this is a series at now, yeah, um, three novels. And I remember reading it on my Kindle and and just loving it, thinking, when the heck is this going to be a show that I can see? And that was like, gosh, 15 years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, yeah, that is that synopsis right? Yeah. But let's paint the picture here. These these are giant silos that stretch hundreds of stories into the earth. Um, and they're they're very hierarchical um, and and kind of stratified. Right. You're yeah. kind of born into, and we have generations now of kids who are born into these silos and they don't know anything else other than life in that silo and that life outside of it uh, is uh, uninhabitable. Right. So let's, uh, let's, let's unpack this, this one sentence description, which tr- tried and I think failed to catch <laughs> the whole breadth yeah. of the show. So this is a po- post-apocalyptic story. These yes. people are these people are living underground. There's a camera on top of uh, this bunker that they're living in. They have no history, so they have they have no idea how the world got in the shape that it's in. They have no uh, they have no idea of how they even got into the silo. Right. They just know that the silo keeps them safe, and that the world outside is a wasteland. And they have a camera that looks out onto the world outside. And occasionally, if someone asks to go outside or if, I guess, if you've committed a crime or something like that, right, then you can go outside and you can wipe the crud that builds up on the camera off. That's called cleaning, right? So you you can clean the camera so that everybody can see the world a little bit better. And what that pretty much means, though, right, is that you are dead. Right, yeah, because the air is so toxic that even if you're in a, a suit, even if you're in a hazmat suit, you're not going to make it much more than a few minutes. Yeah, so I think we got it. Yeah, and, and it's important to note that these silos are very sophisticated. Uh, the silos are a very sophisticated place. And I mean, in terms of they grow crops on certain levels. They have maintenance that are across levels. There are... Uh, there's a vast network of messengers, like a post office, and you know, so it is a it is an eminently livable place. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, we're forced to live in something like that. Yeah. So these, when you, it's not like people are just trapped in these little 
tiny spaces. They're rather it's a rather elaborate structure. So this was my Apple TV Plus pick. Okay. And I picked it because if you could pick a show based on the strength of its pilot, this is probably that show. I felt like the okay. the pilot episode for this show is so good. And when you talk about when you talk about Hugh and you talk about this book that he wrote and thinking in terms of, oh man, I can't wait to see this for 15 years. What that says to me is that this has been in some stage of production for probably that entire length of time. It's probably existed as a movie script. It's probably existed as several different kinds of television scripts. And somehow it's finally made its way into production with Apple. And if the pilot is any indication, I'm guessing that at one point it had a strong movie script because that that's what it felt like watching the first episode. Yeah. And knowing what little, you know, what, what more I know about the the novels, it could have quite easily functioned as a trilogy. A, a three films, you know, um, but yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to some of your criticisms. I know we will get to some of your criticisms. In well, a moment. yeah, it, 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 it does. I mean, this is spoiler alert, right? So people were hoping. If, yeah. If, it's going to be hard to talk about this show without spoiling. As a matter of fact, yeah. I think we've already dropped a couple of spoilers. And I have also said <laughs> silos plural. Yeah, that's so, that's one that I was thinking of. Most people think that they're, you know, I would say the majority of the inhabitants of the silo just think this is the world as it is. But what we realize right. in the episode, and certainly at the end of, I believe it's the first book, is that there are there are thir- at least thirteen silos right. um, across the land, and it's a. I think it's a world right for a for a TV show, whether or not. Or to what degree they're successful with that, obviously, is going to depend on, you know, the viewer. But this, uh, at least this iteration, this series, plays very much, It's well, it's a detective story set in that unique world. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a mystery box element to it. You know, the thing that stands out about the opening to this show is just uh, how solid those first few episodes are at establishing those characters that we're actually not going to be spending a whole lot of time with. Exactly. Um, And that's the part that's, I don't know, it's sort of captivating in that you get caught up in the story. I'm trying to think of things that are comparable to it. Like there's the book series, The Passage. Did you ever read that about the vampires? Oh, Justin Cronin. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Cronin. Yeah. Love that first novel. So that first novel, it starts off for about, I want to say, maybe 10 chapters or something. You're following this one group of people, and then, boy, it resets, and it jumps like a whole generation ahead, and you have to learn like a whole new set of characters. It's an interesting plot plot device there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, like, do I want to put in the time to learn these people? That's kind of what the first couple of episodes of Silo feel like, where you're just like, wow, these, you know, this this story with the sheriff and his wife trying to conceive a child. This is really 
compelling. And then she comes to this epiphany about what life on the outside of the silo probably looks like. Yeah. And then for, and then to move on from that story, it feels a little disjointed a little bit. You're just kind of like, Whoa, I kind of wanted to follow these people, but I guess we're not following these people. We're going to follow a whole different group of folks. Well, I think what it does too, is it tips us off rather quickly to the fact that all is not as people are being told that it is Mm -hmm. right. David, David's character, uh, Holston Becker is a essentially a sheriff or deputy. And uh, he's uh, sent or he chooses to go outside and clean. And, you know, at that point we realize the outside may not actually be like the outside that they're, that the inhabitants are, are told it is. Um, But I, I agree with you. I find it interesting that, two such recognizable i mean david may or may not be like a household name for you know people that don't kind of pay that close attention to the industry or work in it but you know rashida jones is really recognizable from her work in parks and rec and Mm -hmm. it's interesting to choose actors kind of of that caliber just to off them you know but it, it certainly does raise the question okay well what what the hell is actually going on and then in episode two is really where we start to get the the recurring cast members uh of course rebecca ferguson is juliet right. and tim robbins is bernard holland who's kind of an interesting character maybe we can talk about and of course common and other other folks that that people might recognize their face if not their name like harriet walter and will Patton. right uh, yeah uh, uh, yeah it's some solid <laughs> character actors and but again fun. just kind of like kind of coming through you know for a cup of coffee on their mm-hmm. way <laughs> on their way out of the story <laughs> so, yeah yeah um so, t- two things just really quickly that i thought of when i first started watching this one was a movie called the platform on netflix did you ever see so it? yes i did love it man that movie was sick but sort of a similar so similar concept in the sense that it's basically a uh, what like a a commentary on class, yeah, and how the people at the top have more than the people at the bottom, and in the platform, that's more like a horror version, right? It's it's a prison where there's a giant platform full of food, yes. and it slowly goes from one level of the prison all the way down to the bottom. And of course, by the time it gets to the bottom, there's no food left because the people at the top ate all the food, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the sense that you get from the silo. The silo tends to have the elite at the top living at the top of the silo. And then at the bottom of the silo is where you have your mechanics, your engineers, your grunt workers, right? Yeah. Um, the people that make the thing go, basically. Yeah. And so our protagonist is living down at the bottom, but finds herself elevated to the top in the middle of the story. Yeah, and I mean, she she's come to grips with that. Yeah, and she's she's a bit of a a wise a wise young owl, if you will. I mean, she kind of uh, fights her way out of that lower rung, if you will, um, and she becomes um, a deputy if you will, or, and then she's, you know, Rebecca Ferguson's um, character, Juliet is forced into this uh, situation where she's investigating not only a, a death, but 
as she's doing so, begins to also realize things may or may not be uh, what she's told they are, right? right. So she yeah. uncovers the fact that there is a history um, that is being covered up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't have to necessarily go in the weeds and what that is. I, I think, you know, that's the thing that maybe you, your criticism is that that is kind of wheel spinning. I don't know that it, I don't know that the mystery is wheel spinning. Um, but that does bring me to the second comp that I would have for this, which is Lost. Yeah. Um, which is to say that, you know, what Lost did really well was give you a little bit of clues sort of parceled out. And there's a bigger mystery, but, you know, here's a little bit of clues to keep you on the line, to keep you on the line, to keep you on the line. And there's a lot of that in the middle of the season. So it's like a lot of little clues and you're just like, okay, can we just move the ball a little bit more than five yards at a time? That's that's the, that's the kind of the thing. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this could have also worked better as a six episode British series. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Of, you know, you don't necessarily need a movie, but maybe you don't need 10 episodes. It's so funny thinking back to something like Lost. I mean, that's a show from not even 20 years ago, right? 15 years ago? Not, I, I can base my relationship on it. It was the fall of 2004. Oh, so, so okay. So it was 20 years ago. In, oh, that, yeah. in, in 20 years, we have gone from a network show that had a 24-episode season. And I want to say seven seasons something like that to and feeling like okay this is fine to now having a eight episode yes yeah, apple seasons. tv show and feeling like it's taking a long time you yeah. know what i'm this saying was 10, like, this was 10 episodes of silo we had six seasons of lost yeah and of course we know how that turned out uh, i just it's just funny how the american like how our brains have been changed to think you know for a while there was like 13 episodes that's probably about right and now it's about 10 or 8 episodes that's probably about as long as my attention span can run for something yeah yeah well we started um you know because there's not like a ton of new stuff out although we are talking about television and i'm so excited for fall of house of usher this week um we've started watching barry on um HBO on Max. Oh yeah, that's on Max, and um, it's eight. At least where we are now, looking at we just finished season one, which was eight episodes, and I think each season is eight episodes, and that just feels perfect to me. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. It just it's so funny that in twenty years we went from a show, another puzzle box show, very much like this one, that could stretch it out over twenty four episodes, and here it's like, come on, let's just get to it. It's like yeah. 10 episodes long. Let's go back to some questions, which we usually do, which is kind of, I think we've kind of hit the hot takes because I don't I don't know that I completely agree uh, about wheel spinning completely, but I don't completely disagree either. I mean, I, I watched this show. I know you were able to, I'm assuming, binge all of the episodes by the time you got around to it. Because we worked on it, I had access to all episodes a couple months or a month before it came out. And I think maybe over a night. 
uh, certainly no more than two nights. I had watched all of it. And oh, it, wow. Like in that way, it I, I don't know if because each each episode is a cliff. There is a big cliffhanger. They definitely figured out how to bring you back if you were at all into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I felt because, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I was starting another episode. And so, uh, you know, some criticisms aside, what would you, what was your best scene sequence episode or storyline? I mean, it's yeah, I just keep coming back to that pilot that that one episode is worth the show, right? Like if you're if you're just going to watch the first episode of Silo, I would say you're actually OK. Hey, you're in early. Yeah, I couldn't sleep with the damn leg cramps. When you get your coffee, meet me in holding three. Three? Let's talk about this. I made up my mind or I wouldn't be in here. I'm sorry, Sam. Are you going to say this to me after all we've been through? I'm going to wait till Sandy gets in. I don't want you to say it. Please, Sheriff, don't say it. Boy, that is a solid, solid pilot. I, You know, I always think... Um, it's hard to think of like really good pilots. A lot of uh, prestige TV that we get now, um, they're usually like stuff that you have to sit with. And it's usually about episode three where you're like, you know what? I'm on board. Right. And this one, uh, this is, this is one of those rare uh, moments where that first episode, I, I just remember remembered thinking after watching, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't know that this one's going to get beat uh, for the rest of the run. Uh, it was just uh, just really well done. And so that's why it stood out in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was very well done. I think um, any sequence that, that got at the everyday life of the silo, I think I was so, intrigued by the book because of the world that Hugh had created mm-hmm. um, it felt it felt a little fresh and i love a um, post-apocalyptic dystopian narrative i mean i'm a i'll watch basically anything that would remotely be categorized as such um and this this certainly scratched that itch but just anything that was um that started to get at what everyday life was like the rich, I know you're going to probably talk about this in theology corner, but the ritualization of life in the silo, right? Yeah, was quite interesting to me. So, and there were there were a little bit uh, there were there were um, nuggets of that in every episode that kind of satisfied that for me. So, yeah, so that, that sequence, if you will, or storyline, just life in that place. Yeah. So that actually brings up two questions for me. Because I have not had, I have not read the book. And so I don't know that story. However, I have been told about the story of the book in comparison to the show. And from what I understand, 
there are some liberties taken with the adaptation of the show from the book. Some pretty significant departures, kind of in the timing of like when it's revealed to you how things are and stuff. Yeah. It feels like though that the books, if I remember correctly, you re- you learn that earlier. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So we've already said spoilers, but from what I understand, the book tells you right up front, no, it sucks outside. Like it's a, it's a wasteland outside. The show keeps that as a mystery until the very final episode. Maybe it's bad. The camera says it's bad. But then there's also some kind of computer simulation that seems to indicate that it may be good outside. And so you and keep going you, also, you keep going back and forth. And you also have over all of this, which I think casts doubt on or should cast doubt on the way things are, is Tim Robbins' character, Bernard Holland, who's kind of the Lord Mayor of this of this particular silo, if you will, who is not a trustworthy figure at all. Right. Um Although when I listened to an interview that Hugh did with, uh, I, I believe it was Trip for Homebrewed, mm-hmm. uh, where you know he said, "Well, what else would you do?" Like Trip even said, "Like what else does Bernard do?" Bernard may be uh, held prisoner to the illusion that life outside the silo is toxic, and so therefore maybe he is also a not a victim, if you will, but just another kind of innocent bystander to whatever narrative has been woven before he came to power you know and he's got to keep he it's he thinks it's his job to keep people safe yeah this may be an issue where i think tim robbins portrayal kind of undoes it a little bit there's just a couple of there's a couple of places where he just gets really mustache twirly you know with the villainy yeah yeah and it's just like okay let's calm down a little bit (laughs) yeah especially his relationship with common right exactly um Robert yeah the other thing that I was thinking of when when you were talking about the timing of the book was the fact that like there were two there were a bunch of a post-apocalyptic movie series that were out around that time so the Hunger Games may be the most famous right but then you also had things like the Maze Runner was out the Divergent series was out like around 15 years ago 20 years ago. So I wonder if this one was just like seen as another version of those stories. And we've already got those stories in the works and production and stuff. And now enough time has passed and those things have already had their time that now silo feels kind of fresh in retrospect. Unlike those other shows, they're not like teen angsty teen dramas. Yeah, I get. Yeah. And there's a young adult element there too. Yeah. And that's right. Favorite performance. Uh yeah, so David Oyelowo, uh, Oyelowo, I can say this. He, he was it. nominated. He was nominated for an Academy Award, wasn't he, for the Martin Luther King biopic? I don't, I don't think he was. the The controversy around that was he should have been, but Paramount didn't submit the film for consideration soon enough. Oh, there was some kidding. sort of some he's sort got of a, he he's got that past Reeves show. Oh my God, yes. Uh, have you seen the trailers for the Bass Reeves, the um, the Paramount Plus show that they've got? No. Uh-uh. 
Oh my gosh. Speaking of a sheriff, you know, I think he's just wearing the same outfit from Silo yeah. uh in the trailers for the show, but it just looks incredible, man. And it's like, you know, it's one of these um what is it? One of these Yellowstone shows. It's like it's part of that whole universe of things from the I don't I don't have a ton of uh <clears throat> like Hollywood stories that I like to tell. I mean, but uh, being on set with him for Selma was was magical, and in part because we had a dinner with him and Oprah and like twenty um, civil rights leaders who marched, uh, some of whom marched with Dr. King and Selma, and it was just yeah. to hear John Lewis before he died t- tell David, who is British, Martin didn't sound that way right. uh, was was priceless and i just ever since then he's i've had a sweet spot for him i and he is very um commanding in that small role oh yeah i yeah and so that that's the that's the moment where i remember him sort of coming on to the to the big stage with selma right and then and then i gotta tell you in this the thing that stands out to me is that he just feels the most human he just doesn't feel like an archetype yeah, I think that's that's part of the part of the issue that I've got with um some of the acting and silo part part of okay, I will I will put my cards on the table here and just say no. I don't know that Rebecca Ferguson needed to do an American accent or whatever it is that she's doing. I don't care. She could like, do whatever she wants to do. Like there are just there are too she many places. Queen, there's just too many places where the Irish accent comes out and you're just like, just stay, just do the accent, just stay Irish. Like it's, it's okay. <laughs> like we don't, it doesn't have to yeah, be. I mean, fair enough. what do we care? Right. What do we care? You know, she's just so severe. And I wonder if it's kind of a holdover from the Dune character, you know, that she's playing and stuff like that. But it's just, it's so stoic and so you know uh almost inhuman in the way that she portrays it common a little bit of the same way too it's kind of this one note like i'm the authority figure you know uh and unless my family is threatened and then i'll show some you know some emotion and stuff and so that's where david just kind of stands out he loves his wife he has a sense of duty he you know it's it's this combination of like all of these different things that you see playing on his face in his body in the script in the way that he reads the lines it's just and he's willing to sacrifice all of that and he's willing to sacrifice all of that for the truth right yes yes you you get the sense that this is a man with principles yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I like that take i like your your choice there i mean for me it was rebecca ferguson i just think she i think she's a fierce actress i i i, I loved everything that she's done and yeah to have her for a series was great i don't know if we're gonna get to see her if there's a season two do you know if there's a season two as it has an 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 I think it got picked up, right? Okay. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, that's. I don't need to say much more about that. I just enjoyed her performance in this. Oh. Juliet, <laughs> like, like the play. Yeah, you you heard of it? Yeah, of course. Well, they don't really perform that one anymore, though, do they? Uh, I I I don't know. Some people say it was written by 
a rebel. <laughs> Did I just say something that you could arrest me for? Oh, I wouldn't know. Okay, well, maybe I should just go back and yeah, get my... Yeah, I think your minute's up. So. Okay. Yeah, she is pretty wicked in Dune, though. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I forgot she was in Mission Impossible. She was in the new Mission She's Impossible, in, wasn't she? In my, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Six minutes past six o'clock on this day, 140 years ago. That is the moment we regained our freedom. Okay, I want to jump to Theology Corner for the first of the two big ideas because I'm really interested in how you got to what your note is here. I can see where you want to go, and I'm I'm intrigued by what got you there. The opening credits to the show has the music, and then it basically is taking you through the silo. Okay. It's it's sort of uh it's sort of moving you through almost like a blueprint of what the silo is but then you start to recognize some patterns in the way that it's moving you through these spaces so for instance the the way that the staircase the staircase that leads down through the through the silo is it's it's a spiral staircase so it goes around and around and around and one of the shots from the opening credits it matches that to like a shell right this idea of like it sort of mirrors a shell something that they would not have in the silo that would be in the outside world right be like this other thing out there but then also the thing that you start to realize as the spiral staircase is descending down is that it looks almost like a spinal cord or like a DNA strand. It has like all of these different life elements are kind of imposed into the structure itself so that the silo looks like a living thing. It looks like a living creature. It has like that, it has basically a heart, you know, that that has to be repaired at one point when the... Uh, the engine is starting to falter because it has like crud stuck in it and stuff like that. And that's a major plot point in there is that I think, I think that it's a, it's kind of on the nose, but the silo is a life giving and life sustaining organism. Yes. But like all living things, right? Like everything, every time that I see like this opening credit and I see, I'm like, Oh, this is a living thing. And just like all living things, at some point it's going to die. But like the people in the silo don't seem to think that way. The way that they've codified their their uh, their mission statement 
which they read. If you go outside, they read this thing to you, which is they read this thing that says, you know, the founders of this place, you know, gave us these laws to live by. And they said, don't go outside. Right. Because because outside is bad and inside the silo is good. Um, and we don't know when we're going to be able to leave the silo, but it's not today. Right. That's it's ba- that's basically their scripture that they read over and over again. What you have to think is that just like the world outside has died, the silo will ultimately die. And all of these rules that they've created for themselves will ultimately die. And you start to extrapolate that out. Okay, so what other great civilizations have come and gone who have had thriving religions and thriving uh, empires and thriving, uh, you know, scripture that they thought would last for eons and they're gone, right? The Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks. I mean, some of these things we still retain, but a lot of these things are lost to history, you know? And there's something about the way that we treat our religion and our religious ideas. We talk about them as if they're eternal. As long as they're bound to human experience, they're not eternal. They are subject to life and death the way that all humans are subject to life and death. And um, and that's that's the thing that the silo kind of nails, I think, for me, is that at some point the silo is going to die. And these people are going to have to figure out a new way of thinking because this thing isn't going to sustain them anymore. Or it's going to look completely different before it dies, um, which is which in and of itself might be a type of death when more than one person goes outside and survives and realizes that realizes there are at least 10 to 12 more spaces and they are certainly not the only people left alive on the planet you know or whatever they think they're on or in um so yeah i I like that a lot i mean i we're recording this on the day i finished reading lauren groff's new book the vaster wilds which is a a beautiful book that i think should be in your book club um popping collars it's one that is uh imbued with um profound beauty and great suffering. Um, but what it ultimately does is, is uh, casts this uh, young girl against nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a man versus or a woman versus nature story. And what can we say about our life on this planet in light of that struggle? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think some of the stuff that you're talking about, comes up in a book like that. Um, the second that we concretize those things, I was thinking about like Bernard when when I saw your note about Bernard's role in that and mm-hmm. preserving some sort of order. Yeah. Um, any sort of stratified society with a caste system and can you or can you not move up or down that caste? There's certainly the danger of being cast down. Right. Yeah. In the series, you you don't see the the opportunity uh, or the possibility is much more rare of of moving up, um, and I think part of part of what uh, Juliet's appeal to people in in a silo is that she is kind of a su- success story. So yeah, I mean the second that those things are codified and and stratified and concretized, if you will, like it's the second that they're dead 
and that they become something other than what they are. Yeah, that they become something other than what they are. I mean, that's the thing, right? Because we, I think we've mentioned this before in sort of talking about how Holy Scripture works. Holy Scripture is always written by underdogs. And when the underdogs become the empire, I mean, that's when all of a sudden, like, you know, all of these, uh, all of these texts that were written by people for people who had no power all of a sudden all of those words get used to keep certain people in power and to oppress others you know and it's like it becomes a sick perversion of what it started off as well and if you look at the, the 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 sweep of christian history that happened pretty quickly yeah if you think about it yeah and it was attached to military power an economic power. <laughs> and it's only and that has is what's perpetuated. Not to say that there haven't been uh great communities and individuals inspired by the faith that have done life world changing work, but let's make no mistake about it, for the most part, it has been wedded with something that it never should have been married to. Right. And so that's where, you know, when you're thinking about the sort of the the scripture of the silo this idea of you know founders and um life on the outside versus life in the silo and you know i mean there really is there's a community piece to it all but it goes from being a a, a safety speech or like a you know sort of a life-giving speech of Okay, so in here we know we're okay. Out there is a mystery to us, and we won't know when it's okay to go out. But right now we can take care of each other in here. That goes from a hopeful message to a threat that gets read to people before they're sent outside, right? And that that's not the work of the text. That's the work of the institution using the text to keep themselves in power. And the, the second that you question any of that, you're out. Right. Met- literally, in this case, you know, metaphorically for our life, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's I think that works. I think that's a good read on the on the series as a whole. Yeah, I'll be curious if there is a season two. I'd be curious to see what they run with now that, again, spoilers. But uh, Juliet has been cast out into the world and so she can see what's outside the silo now and she ain't dead she's she's gotten uh she's gotten the good the good supply uh of hazmat suits to keep her safe so um so we'll we'll see what uh what her life in exile basically looks like what's your industry corner okay so we talked about apple tv plus last time so i don't want to uh, I don't want to just rehash, especially just because we talked about it just last month. So I don't want to rehash that. I was thinking, you know, now would be a good time for us to talk about the strikes, the industry strikes. That I mean, we've we've touched on them periodically. One of which is still uh, ongoing. Yeah, the SAG after strike is still ongoing as we're recording this. The writers, the writers seem to have made an agreement, and I think You've ratified are, everything. And yeah. It's a- contract so we'll be right back here in three short years uh director's contract was all signed signed up yeah so 
very quickly for the director very quickly for the directors but um but the state of unease in the industry right now i was thinking we've you know this has sort of colored our entire year of conversations and i was thinking we could have a more explicit conversation about it which is um you know how does this industry work now <laughs> this is basically the question because for years and years and years we knew what the model was you get Most a show wow you get a show, you make a pilot, you try to get it onto a network or onto a cable channel. And uh, either you get picked up or you don't get picked up. Well, in a world of streaming, everybody needs content. And not only do they need content, they need as much content as they can possibly get. Um, but not necessarily renewable content. They just need they need like a season of Silo to put on screen. But does Apple TV Plus want to be in the Silo business? Maybe not. You know, it's hard to know. It was a big show for them. Now, what's going to be interesting is uh, one of the if I'm if I remember correctly, one of the uh, wins, if you will, for writers is that these streamers now have to report numbers. Now, can you trust what they say? Right. Who knows? But that that will certainly help you answer that type of question. Numbers would be great. It would be nice to see because, you know, right now, I mean, I'm thinking of a promo that Disney Plus is running right now where they say uh, that Loki, you know, Loki season two has just premiered. And they're like, OK, so Loki is the most watched Marvel series on Disney Plus. It's like, okay, well, I have to take your yeah. word for that. Yeah. Nobody else uh, reporting on what those numbers are, right? Yeah. Yeah, I look, I don't know. I mean, I've always said even from working in the industry very in my very small small role, like nobody knows anything ever. Right. And the people that tell you they do are lying. Run away. I think I've met a couple of people in my life that know a little bit better, but even they knew enough to say they don't know. You know, one of the things that I took note of uh, when I saw your industry corner comments was uh, the conversation around the creator, which is this new Gareth Edwards sci-fi blockbuster that's not done well critically. It'll probably do okay globally. And certainly, I think one of the things that a lot of people are paying attention to are the budget, like how creative edwards and his team were yeah because it's um the rumor is that it it only cost 80 million dollars which is really not a lot of money for a film like that when you consider that indiana jones was 300 million right um, and so yeah. you you're asking like what's what's the future and i just i wonder if we're going to get back to an over a more overall creative approach to storytelling. And I know that's very broad, mm -hmm. uh, but what I mean by that, are we going to take chances cinematically on stuff? That's not an adaptation of a comic book. And I'm the first person in line to watch those movies. Are we going to take more creative approaches to adaptations of comic books like this, where you have a visionary director who can do a lot with a little, you know, I don't I don't know. And TV, as far as TV is concerned, I'm just constantly puzzled at why things are canceled or not picked up. And 
that's never made sense to me. Yeah. I mean, that's that. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, it used to be the industry used to understand what was a hit and what wasn't a hit because you had Nielsen ratings and imperfect measure. I totally understand how imperfect, you know, the Nielsen boxes were and stuff like that. But at least you had a sense of, you know, what shows were being watched, um, generally speaking, right? Uh, now, th- I guess I guess my thinking in this world is that there are s- so many streamers that need stuff to put on, but some of the stuff they can't afford to ho- host on their site, right? Because it's not being watched, and so therefore it's taking up space that they need new content to be in. So I'm thinking again of Disney plus, like they rolled out this new uh, Willow show uh, building off of a movie from 40 years ago or something, trying to capitalize on that, making a TV show it bombed. And now it's not on their service because the cost of keeping it on Disney plus is more than if they just canceled it, like got rid of it, right? Um, that's insane. That's a that's incredible to me. Like, where does that it, thing live now? Well, so that's the thing, right? So one of the things that Disney's been doing is just shopping their stuff out to other places. So like Netflix is picking up old Disney stuff now. Because Disney's like, oh, we can't host it on our site anymore. We'll shop it over to your streaming service and see if you can get a run with it, right? Which was where we were before the whole streaming war started in the first place, right? Like, that's how Friends became a hit again. Because Netflix was like, yeah, we'll take your show. We'll put it on here. Yeah. It's just like, I can't believe that we spent the last five years getting back to a model that we had five years ago like it's just it's just amazing and the ultimate the ultimate uh end of this whole thing is that you know it it seems as if you know all of this content will just live in one place and you'll subscribe to multiple streamers just like a cable service you know like i mean it's well it's i've already ultimately gonna be cable again well i've changed i mean i've bumped down i move up and down these subscription services like the, the hulu disney plus bundle is increasing in price netflix is gonna go up again and at some point i'm gonna either cancel them or go to the cheapest possible version which is an ad supported version which to your point is cable tv all over again Hmm. I feel bad for creators. I mean, I side with artists. I want people who are creative to make the things that they want to create. And I want no. executives no. to get out of the way so that these people can cook. I yeah. don't want somebody who has an amazing original thought to have to fit their script into a Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that, like, I that stuff that that is what is hurting our industry is stuff like i mean we were talking before stuff like the exorcist believer which may may be a fine 
film. I like David Gordon Green. I really like Eastbound and Down. I like the Righteous Gemstones. I like I like a lot Those of the stuff that he different does. Than the Exorcist, though, and you know that. But just remaking The Exorcist and then rolling Ellen Burstyn out for five minutes during the movie—that's not a movie. That's yeah. just a that's a commercial for The Exorcist from 1973. And saying, boy, that was a better movie. We remade it worse. But, you know, it's like, what is this? Why why do we keep going back to this market? And the reason is because Universal is like, well, we need, you know, we paid $400 million for this IP. Make a movie. Yeah. It's like, God, Lee, is that, I mean... Is that how movies is that is that what Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese were thinking in the 70s when they made Taxi Driver no, no, is no. like, well, this has to fit into the Taxi Driver IP now. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> you get a creative idea. You make a movie like that's I don't know. I don't know where it got so complicated over the last 60 years, you know. OK, I think we did it. I hope we did. We went into the silo. We, we came out. It's real foggy out here, man. I'm thinking it's <laughs> yeah. hard to breathe. Yeah, I would just really make sure that duct tape is on tight, you know, on your hazmat suit. What are we um what are we talking about next? Okay, well let's spin the wheel. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno curl cabinet. Wait, we don't have to spin the wheel because there's only one more show left. And it is your Hulu pick, which you have picked. Hang on. Uh, you have picked Dope Sick as oh, your yeah. Hulu pick. Yeah, let's just let's go. Have you watched it? I have not watched it. So this will be I'll have to go into it. I have not watched it yet. I cannot rewatch it. I will. I will read synopsis of each episode so I can remember. I know the whole gist of it. I know my hot take. I know my best performance. Um, I'm ready to go. Let's record next week. <laughs> okay. Well, I I need some time. I think to watch it. So Dopesick will be our last show, and then Ryan, we're gonna have to fill up the wheel again. All right, man. We will see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.